Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are pressing on in our series on the life of Jacob with our scholar-in-residence, James Jordan. Here, Jordan continues to look at Jacob's wrestling with God and his name being changed to Israel. And in particular, this episode is going to focus in on what the name change means, what Israel means, and what it means for us today as God's people. Along the way, Jordan's again going to reintroduce the priest-king-prophet paradigm, which you can see in this passage. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged by this episode. And here is James Jordan on the life of Jacob. We'll begin by reading the passage again that we've been looking at, and that's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Let's hear God's word. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the rising of the dawn. And when he saw he could not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. The socket of Jacob's thigh had been dislocated as he wrestled with him. Or it was dislocated at that point. And he said, let me go, for dawn is coming up. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, replacement. And he said, not as replacement shall your name be henceforth uttered, but rather as God wrestler, Israel. For you have fought with God and men, and you have prevailed. And Jacob asked and said, Pray tell me your name. And he said, Why do you ask after my name? And he gave him the blessing there. And Jacob called the name of that place face of God, Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. And the sun rose on him as he crossed Peniel, which is just another way of writing the same word, Peniel. And he was limping on his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel do not eat the sinew that is on the socket of the thigh until this day. For he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh at the sinew. Now we've come to the center of this passage. It begins with the wrestling and the wounding of Jacob on the inside of his thigh. Which is very close to the place of circumcision. And also connects with the wound of the foot that was prophesied in Genesis 3. This is like a new circumcision. He's already been circumcised once as a baby, and now there is a wound in roughly the same place with pretty much the same meaning. And it results in his names being changed. And that's at the center of this passage. And then at the end we have another statement about the sinew of the socket of the thigh and the fact that the Israelites don't eat that part of the animal because of this incident which is something we'll have to get to in due course. We won't get to it today, but you might put in the back of your mind, now why on earth would those people reason, hmm, our ancestor was struck in a certain part of his body, therefore when we eat animals, we won't eat that part of the body. Is that the way you think? You know, if you received a wound in your shoulder at some point in your life, from then on would you refuse to eat the shoulder part of a cow or a beef or a sheep? Or if it happened to your ancestors? What kind of reasoning lies behind that? Not the kind of reasoning we're used to, you see. 
When we're reading the Bible, there are places like this where you say, you cannot understand this as a modern man. You have to get your mind inside the Bible and learn to think the way they did before you can even begin to understand why they would draw that conclusion. What's the logic behind concluding that because Jacob was wounded in a particular part of his body, from now on, <laughs> we won't eat that part of any animal that we eat? What's the reason behind that? Well, I'm not going to tell you today, but we'll get to it. Where we are today is at the center of this passage. Verse 27, where Jacob is named again. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, not Jacob will be your name henceforth, but Israel, or God's wrestler, God's fighter. What does Jacob mean? Well, because not everybody here is with us in the regular classes, I'll remind you, Jacob means replacement. It doesn't mean bad guy. It doesn't mean sneaky. It doesn't mean tricky. It means replacement. Jacob is the replacement, first of all, for Esau. Because Esau was born first, and God said, No, you name the second one Jacob because he will replace the first one. But we've seen in our study that Jacob is actually the replacement for Isaac. Esau would have been a new Isaac as firstborn. Jacob now as firstborn is a new Isaac. But particularly, Isaac needs to be replaced because Isaac sinned. Isaac started out well. He was a faithful son. And he carried that wood up the hill when he was 18 or 19 years old. And he lay down on the altar and he was ready to die if his father told him to. He was a faithful son and a faithful sacrifice. But when Isaac became old, he fell into sin and he was not a faithful father. So somebody else has to come along who is a faithful son and who does not sin and who becomes a faithful father. Isaac has to be replaced. Just as Adam had to be replaced by Jesus all along in the Bible, there are a series of stories where the sins of one person means he's got to be replaced. And in Genesis, we have a long story about Abraham that includes Isaac as a son. We have a long story about Jacob that includes Isaac as a sinful father. We have a long story about Joseph, but there is no separate section of Genesis that deals with Isaac. If you look at the way the book is set up, Isaac is the fall of the Abrahamic covenant. God makes a covenant with Adam, Adam sins, and he has to come and make it right. God makes a covenant with Abraham and Isaac sins and almost destroys it. Remember, Isaac's intention was to take everything in the covenant and give it to Esau. And Esau had been married for already for about 37 years, and Esau's wives were terrible women. He already had two of them, which made him like Lamech before the flood, a polygamist. Moreover, his children were growing up by that time. He may even have had grandchildren by that time. And it was a totally rotten family. The Bible tells us that. But Isaac says, I'm going to give the covenant to Esau. I'm going to give all the blessings to Esau. I'm going to give Yahweh's kingdom to Esau. That was Isaac's intention. So Rebecca had to come up with a scheme to get around it. And she did. And that at least did not happen. Jacob is the replacement. He's supposed to be the new Isaac the new laughter of God. And that's what Jacob means. Jacob means replacement. Well, his name is changed at this point, although the Bible continues to call him Jacob and God continues to call him Jacob on occasion. The name is changed to Israel. And the Bible almost never speaks of the sons of Jacob or the children of Jacob. It pretty much always speaks of the children or sons of Israel. 
So although Jacob's personal name is changed to Israel, Israel is primarily a name for the nation. And that's important because this new name is given in connection with a circumcision wound and that's where children come from. The wound is at the place in the body that's connected with children. And so the new name is connected with the children. And that's part of what's here. This change of name does not mean a change from a bad man to a good man. His name is not being changed from sneaky to God's warrior. Because as we've seen, Jacob, although he has had to be sneaky, has not been a bad man. Remember the first thing this story says about Jacob way back in the beginning is that Jacob was a perfect man. Before anything happens in his life, Jacob was a perfect man. God says to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. It says as regards Noah, Noah was a perfect man in his times. It says as regards Job, Job was a perfect man. Perfect doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean righteous. And right from the beginning, the text tells us Jacob is a perfect man. He is what God told Abraham to be. God told Abraham, be perfect. Jacob is perfect. That's where Jacob starts. Jacob is not the bad guy in the story. All the other people are the bad guys. God comes and wrestles with him. And God says to him, I want to review this for visitors and new folks. God does not say in this story, you have fought with God and men, but finally I have defeated you, Jacob. Finally, you've met somebody that you can't defeat. You defeated Esau. You stole his birthright. And you defeated your father by tricking him. And you defeated Laban by stealing his flocks. But you can't defeat me. You fought with men and you prevailed, but now you fight with God and I win. That's not what it says, is it? This is what makes the story a little bit odd in terms of the frequent translation and understanding of it. No, God says you fought with me and you win. Well, what does that mean? Okay, Jacob, you've been fighting with me all your life. You're 97 years old. That's how old he is at this point. 97 years you've been fighting with me. Okay, Jacob, you win. I'm out of here. Go to hell. I give up on you. No, that's not what it means either. You wrestle with God and with men, and you have prevailed, and that's a sign of something good, that he's been wrestling his whole life. And what it means is he's been wrestling in prayer his whole life, and as a result, God is pleased with him, and God is going to let him come back into the promised land, and God is going to go before him and make peace with Esau, which is what Jacob is scared about, because God is pleased with him because he's grown up as a result of all this wrestling. But Jacob is not the bad guy, and the change of his name does not a change from sneaky to good guy. Rather, it's a change from the word replacement to the word God-wrestler. Well, to understand this, I have to bring in a broader part of biblical theology. It's already been set up earlier in the Bible and, and continues throughout it all. And that's this. The word replacement points to Jacob as a priest. And the word God's wrestler points to Jacob as a king. And the movement from priest to king is a movement from servant to ruler, from childhood to maturity. A priest in the Bible, it has two zones of meaning. First of all, it means those who serve 
God, particularly in his sanctuary. So, in a sense, ministers of the gospel are like the priests and Levites of the Old Testament. And that's your job for your whole life. But it's also true that a priest is somebody who does exactly what he's told, deviating neither to the right nor to the left, and not being creative, and not coming up with anything new, but following out specifically what he's told. Just like you kids, you are under orders. Do not go into the street. Don't go in the street. If you go in the street, I'll spank you. Now, when you're an adult, you can go into the street because you know how to do it. But when you're a child, you have these rules. Now, you look at the priests in the Bible, the priests are under all these rules given in Leviticus and Exodus. You have to kill the animal exactly this way, at exactly this time. When the sun goes down between the evenings, okay, that's when you lay hold of the sheep, you take him to the north side of the altar, you put him on a table on the north side of the altar, you use a knife, nothing else but a knife, you cut his throat, you take the blood out in basins, brass basins, not some other kind of basin. Everything is prescribed. You cut it into certain specific pieces. You don't just kill it and dump it on the altar. You've got to do exactly these things at exactly this time, and you don't deviate from it, or God is mad at you. That's what a priest is like. But you look at the kings, when we get to kings in the Bible, there's nothing like that. God doesn't say to David, okay, this is exactly what you do. What he says to the king is, in Deuteronomy 17, the king is to copy out the law of God and have it read to him constantly and study it so that he internalizes it and has wisdom and knows what to do when he encounters all kinds of new situations. In a sense, the priest is never going to encounter any new situations. Because he's doing exactly what he's told. He's in this controlled environment, boundary by the boundaries of the tabernacle. And he does exactly what he's told. Somebody brings a donkey in there and says, I want to sacrifice this donkey. He says, sorry, no donkeys allowed on the altar. Only sheep, goats, cows, or beef, turtle doves, and pigeons. And no donkeys, and no deer, and no pigs. He has exactly what he's supposed to do, exactly when to do it. But the king now, the king has to internalize God's law and make application. Now, we start off life as priests. The word priest or Kohen means palace servant. The priest in the Bible prepares food. The priest does exactly what he's told. He is strictly under the law. And in a sense, that's his whole life. Now, the Bible also says that the priests mature. At the age of 30, they take up new responsibilities. At the age of 50, they become elder priests and they have more responsibilities. So this progression takes place within that calling. But in each of our lives, we start out as kids who are learning what we're supposed to learn and who are doing what we're told. That is, if our parents have a lick of sense. That's the way we're trained. But now when you get into the middle of life, you start to do things. You move into what we can call a warrior or a doer stage of life. In the middle of life, a person, a man, and we have to use men here because that's the paradigm we're having, but it's with women too. A man can work. He can plow a field. And when you're a child, you can't plow a field. You don't have the strength to. You don't have the know-how to. But once you've been trained at it, you can plow a field. And maybe you can be creative and come up with a better way to plow a field, but it takes energy and skill. And that is the middle of life. Or you're a warrior. And you know how to use a spear or how to shoot an arrow. I remember in, as a child taking archery lessons not very long, 
But, you know, shooting an arrow and making it go anywhere is not something that you just pick up. It's all that easy to do. It looks easy when you see it in a movie, but it isn't easy. I guess that's why Robin Hood was so remarkable and being able to do such a good job. Well, children can't do that. You have to be trained to it. Then you become good at it. In the middle of life, you can become a warrior. You have strength. You can run. You can fight. You can work with your hands. That's the middle of life, and that's the kingly stage of life. In your old age, you can't do that anymore. What you can do is talk. <laughs> old folks can talk, and they can give wisdom and insight to young folks. And that is the prophetic stage of life. A prophet is somebody who creates a world by his word alone. That's what God does in Genesis 1. That's what the prophets do in the Bible. If you read the prophets... The prophets are describing a new world that is coming to pass. They are tearing down an old world. They're saying this old world is going to be destroyed. Moab is going to be destroyed for her sins. Israel is going to be destroyed for her sins. Take up a lamentation over Pharaoh. The old world is going to be torn down. But they do this by words, sending letters out. And then they describe a new world is coming. When you say that stuff, it has effects. Language has effects. We would say, oh, well, you just can't tear down a world by your words. Well, you can. There are a lot of people in this country right now who have more or less thrown away their lives and run off to the hills because somebody's words persuaded them that on January 1st, the year 2000, the lights are going to go off and they're not going to come back on. The words have effect. And if you set out a new order of things and people begin to catch a vision for it, that changes the future. That's what a prophet does. That's what an old guy does. That's what an elder does. And that is what Jacob is becoming. And in the process, his children are becoming kings. We have to look at both of those stages, and we will be as we continue this course of studies. But here is where, essentially, we have to say this much about it this morning. Jacob, as a result of his faithful service as a slave, more or less a slave of Isaac for years, and then a slave of Laban for years. Now, he doesn't have to be a priest anymore, and he can move into this more kingly status. He passes that kingly status to his sons, and he himself becomes a prophet, because from now on, Jacob is physically wounded, and he has to rule by his words alone. He has to tell his sons what to do, and they either obey or disobey. And down at the end of the book, he gives in Genesis 49 this prophetic oracle about the future of each one of his sons. So that's the beginning of what we have to see is going on here, this transition in his life. I'll fill that out just a little bit. As far as Jacob as an individual is concerned, he is like Isaac who suffers as a sacrifice, carrying the wood up the hill, and who is obedient. And Jacob suffers for 77 years with Isaac disliking him, but he's obedient. And then he goes off to Paddan Aram to get a wife, and he worked for 14 years just for a wife, for two wives. Well, actually he worked 14 years for one wife. He worked seven years for Rachel, and he worked seven more years for Rachel. And during that time, he winds up with nothing. He's still doing exactly what he's told. All he has at the end of it is wife and kids. But he doesn't have any sheep, any goats, any oxen. He doesn't have any possessions. 
He's not a king. He's still a servant. Then for six years, he wisely manages this flock. And he takes all the mixed color animals, all the ones that are like us. We're part white and part black. That's what Jacob's flock represents. And he wisely manages all of this as a king. And he winds up with a kingdom. So he's been wrestling. And he's been like a king. Now there's a transition in his personal life to where he has to more or less give a lot of this up. He's going to give a lot of it to Esau. He's not going to be able to act for himself any longer. It's going to be pretty hard for Jacob to spend the whole night outside and to run after sheep and goats like he used to. He just says, previous chapter, we saw this. I spent all night. I fought the animals off. Sleep eluded my eyes. I had to fight the beasts off. I had to run after your goats and sheep. He's not going to be able to do any of that anymore. He's not going to be able to be a king anymore. He's not going to be able to go out and fight. He's going to be an elder. We have elders in this church who can tell you that you get old, you have some surgery, you have to have your heart started back up again, and you don't have a lot of energy, you know, that you used to have. You can't go out and fight like you used to be able to. But you can be a prophet, an elder, and you can tell others what they ought to hear. If they're smart, they'll listen. Jacob's sons don't always listen, do they? We'll find that out. But, uh, they are now given the kingly task. They become Israel. Jacob is called Israel the one who acts, the one who fights, the one who wrestles, because that's what he's been doing. And now his sons take up that name Israel because they become the kingly people in that sense. Well, we'll discuss this quite a bit more before we're done with this passage because it's such a key transition in the book. And it's a transition that happens many other places. But we can round out this morning's lesson by looking at this name Israel. What does that mean? No longer replacement, a replacement for Isaac, a new priest. But rather, Israel, somebody who acts, somebody who wrestles, somebody who fights. Or who has fought. Because you have fought in the past. And in the future you won't have to fight anymore. You won't be able to because I'm going to wound you. But you have fought and you have prevailed. Israel, what does it mean? Well, I've given you here in your notes three overlapping meanings. And the reason we have to do this is, all this is in Hebrew is Israel. El means God. Well, El means God as the powerful one. And Israel means wrestle. So we got wrestle the powerful one. Wrestle the mighty one. Well, how do we put those together? Does it mean God wrestles with him? Does it mean he wrestles with God? Does that mean he's God's champion who wrestles on behalf of God? Well, the answer is yes. (laughs) All of the above. It's too compact in Hebrew, and if we look at the theology of it, we'll see that it carries all these meanings as we think about it in the Bible. First of all, what does it mean if we translate it as God wrestles? God wrestles with him. That's the closest meaning. The mighty one wrestles with him. Well, Israel is the people with whom God wrestles. And if we're the true Israel of God, and the book of Galatians says we are, God wrestles with us. He wrestles with us just as he wrestled with Jacob. First of all, he sent Esau to wrestle with Jacob. And he sent Isaac to wrestle with Jacob. And he sent Laban to wrestle with Jacob. But all along, it was God who was wrestling with him, and that's what this passage shows us. 
Why did God do that? To cause them to grow up and become mature. Because we won't mature if we don't have challenges put in front of us. And God puts these challenges and difficulties before Jacob, and Jacob does mature. Isaac did not. Isaac started well. Isaac is 20 years old. He's carried this wood up. He's been saved by God. He's been obedient. He gets this wonderful wife, Rebecca. The word Rebecca has just got a transposition of the word Barak, which means bless. She's a blessing. Everything's going great. He's fairly wise in dealing with Abimelech. He digs all these wells of water, but then he has sons. And he makes the wrong choice and he falls into sin. God puts a challenge before him and he fails. Jacob, God has put the challenge before him and God says that Jacob has successfully passed the test. This is not the comic book version of Jacob, but it is what the Bible says here. You have wrestled with me and you have passed the test. I have wrestled with you to make you strong and wise and mature and now you're old enough and mature enough at 97 to cross into the promised land to come back. You have passed the test. You have prevailed. So who are we then if we're Israel? Well, we are people that God wrestles with. I don't like it. I don't think Jacob did. What does Jacob say at the end of his life when Pharaoh says, how's it been for you with Yahweh as your God? I'm not always sure how Ra and Ptah treat me, but how has Yahweh treated you during your life, Jacob? That's what Pharaoh says in chapter 47, what Jacob says. Few and evil have been the years of the days of my sojournings, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the sojournings of my forefathers who sojourned before me. I've had a really rotten life. That's what he says, essentially. And then Pharaoh gets down on his knees and asks Jacob to bless him with the blessing of Yahweh, indicates that Pharaoh understands that when Yahweh or when Jesus or when the Holy Spirit puts us through hard times, that's a good thing, and this Pharaoh is really converted. He's ready to ask for the blessing even of a God who has given Jacob an awfully hard life. It has been a hard life. Seventy-seven years of being oppressed by your father, twenty more years of slavery under Laban, and then they have to give it all up. And then as soon as you get back into the promised land, after a few years, your favorite son goes off into Egypt. And a few years later, your daughter is raped and two of your sons create such a stink in the land that you have to move away. And then there are plagues and famines. It's been a pretty rough life. But Israel is the people that God puts through hard times like that so that we become mature and are ready for better things. Maybe just better things in heaven, but better things. That's what this is about. This is not about God breaking Jacob down because he was a sinner. It's about God wrestling with us to make us more mature. And it's not always pleasant. There are good days and there are bad days. Some days the bear gets you and some days you get the bear. But God does these things. He is the one who wrestles with us. And that's the first meaning here of Israel. If you're an Israelite, God wrestles with you to make you better, to make you wiser, to open up the capacities of your life. Then it also means, can translate, God wrestler, one who wrestles with God. Well, Israel is the people who wrestle with God to receive his blessing. That's what prayer is supposed to be. When you're alone in liturgy, we don't wrestle with God in prayer. It would be inappropriate because that's such a personal thing. We confess who we are. We confess. Alone we have to wrestle with God because we're the people who wrestle with God to receive his blessing and that's through prayer. And then a final meaning, God's wrestler. The champion that God sets forth, God's appointed wrestler. That's who we are. 
Israel is the people who wrestle on behalf of God. We're on his side. He's been wrestling with us so that we are fit to join his army and fight on his side. That's what it means to be an Israelite. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christian and Israelite is somebody that God wrestles with. It's somebody who wrestles back with God for the blessings that he offers. And finally, it's somebody who wrestles on God's side. And here it is. It's expressed here that you have prevailed with men and you've also prevailed with God. There's no implication that Jacob has been wrong in wrestling with God. This is the kind of wrestling God wants. It's the kind that David does in the Psalms, the kind he wants us to do. The implication is that all along he has been wrestling with God through prayer. He says, you have wrestled with God and with men. Well, how many years has Jacob been wrestling with men? Ninety-seven. So how many years has he been wrestling with God? Ninety-seven. The reason that Esau fought him in the womb is because Jacob was already saved. He was already regenerated, and so they couldn't be friends. All along, Jacob has been wrestling with God. And God says, at this point, I'm happy with what you have become as a result. Victory here, victory over God, if we can use that language, because that's the language God himself uses, you have prevailed over me. It doesn't mean that God has been defeated, but that God is pleased at the maturity of his son. And he is now ready to give Jacob the blessings that Jacob has wanted. He will have a few years of peace before the final difficulties of his life, and then he'll have many more years of peace in the land of Goshen with Joseph taking care of him. But that's where we are, and that's what it means. And every Christian is somebody whose name has been changed from Jacob. We are obedient, but also through Jesus Christ, who is the true Israel and who fought with God and who is God's wrestler and who won the kingdom for us in union with him, we also are Israel. And we are privileged that God cares enough about us to wrestle with us to make us better people. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.